The title of my message is Finding Our Rest in the Great I Am. Finding Our Rest in the Great I Am. And you'll understand why I titled that perhaps in a couple minutes. Today was my one-year anniversary of working at the Ventura County Rescue Mission in Oxnard. And I've, as I was driving here from work, I was just thinking over the past year and what the Lord um, has done in my life and praising him for opening up a door to be able to minister to um, those who are in need, those who need help, those who are weary and heavy laden, those who are coming in off the streets, those who are coming out of the jail system, those who are addicted to drugs, and nobody else will take them in. And so they come into the rescue mission, and right now I'm doing the interviews of all the guys who come into the program. I interview them first, and I got a gentleman today, his name was Scott. He came into the program. Scott's 57 years old, and he was born and raised in Thousand Oaks and close to home here in Simi Valley. And he said he worked on roofs most of his life, and later in life he started to drink, and that led to a DUI. And then he uh, drank again more and more and more. He got another DUI, and he ended up in prison. And today he said, I need help. And he came to the rescue mission. And he's hurting, but at least he knows where to go for help. And I get the great opportunity and the honor to minister to people like him. Another guy by the name of Carlos came in. Carlos um, is from L.A. It took him four hours. He was catching buses, different bus rides to Oxnard. He got lost. He was supposed to come in yesterday. And I found him um, early this morning laying on the grass. He was laying on the grass outside hung over from the night before, saying that he needed help. And every day I get to minister to these people, and I get to point them to Christ, and I get to preach God's word, and I get to counsel them. And uh, the Lord stretched me in so many different ways throughout this past year. And I've had some really blessed and joyful days, and I've had some really difficult and hard days. And that seems to be all of our lives, right, at times. We have those days where our hearts are filled with joy and peace and things in life are going well and other days where it seems so hard and we're saying, God, where are you at? I know you're there, but help me, Lord, I'm struggling. And so the verses I wanted to look at tonight are Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Where do we go when our hearts are heavy, when they're heavy laden? And we go to Christ. He says, come to me. He was pleading with the multitudes in Matthew chapter 11 to run to him, to come to him, to confide in him, to find their blessing and ultimately their rest in him. And that's where we need to go today. Many today are not only physically exhausted, but many today are mentally exhausted, overburdened with grief and anxiety and panic and fear and worry of the future. Jesus says in Matthew 6, right at the end of the chapter, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. He goes on to say, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself each day. 
has enough trouble of its own. And those have been verses over the last year or two that I've probably meditated on and repeated and spoke to God more than almost any other verses. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble or enough worry of its own. God does not want us to be anxious. He doesn't want us to be worried. He's in control. Christ upholds all things by the power of his word. He loves us. He cares for us. We have nothing to worry about. He knows the hairs on our head. They're all numbered. And his thoughts for us are like the sand of the seashore. So what does it mean to be wary? It means to be tired or exhausted. Jesus says, those that are heavy laden. What does that mean? means to place a burden upon. It was the custom of loading animals. The load or burden is bound up and then laid on the beast to load one with a burden. In the context of Jesus' teaching, it refers to the burdensome requirements of the Mosaic law and of tradition and with the consciousness of sin. Many of us and many in Jesus' time were just burdened with the consciousness of sin in our lives. And that's why we need to keep short accounts with any sin in our life. As Paul says, he's led a life of having a good and clear conscience before the Lord. And in order to do that, any sin in our life, we must forsake it. We must confess it. We must repent and turn from it so that we're not holding on to these burdens. Now, this Greek word for heavy laden, fortizo, is used only twice in the New Testament. Once here in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, and then once in Luke 11, verse 46, where Jesus says to the lawyers, woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And this is what the religious leaders in Jesus' day were doing to the people, weighing them down with burdens hard to bear. Sounds like what we're going through, many of us in California. Many businesses are shut down, mass lockdowns, mass mandates, possibly a vaccination being mandated, weighing men down with rules and regulations. And meanwhile, the governor, what's he doing behind the scenes? Dinner parties, not wearing a mask. Wine businesses continue to be open, his wine businesses, while others are being shut down. And I couldn't help but bring him up because that was the context in which Jesus was speaking about with those religious leaders, putting these laws and rules and regulations and burdening people, and then yet behind the scenes, they were practicing something else. I'm sure many people in Jesus' day got angry with these religious leaders, frustrated by them, by all the rules and the traditions of men that they were putting on them. Yet what should be our heart towards people that practice hypocrisy. Yes, there's a place for righteous indignation. The scripture says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. But it also says in 1 Timothy 2, 1, first of all, then I urge that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be offered for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, so that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. When we get angered by the hypocrisy that we see 
in our society, it should also drive us to our knees in love and crying out to God that these people would be saved. God's word says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And their end is going to be destruction and horrible if they don't repent. We must be praying for people that are living ungodly lives in this day and age, which is many people. And we must live godly lives with all dignity, as these scriptures here say in 1 Timothy. One commentary, the Barnes commentary, speaks of these heavy burdens that the religious leaders were putting on the backs of people, and he states, those rites were numerous, expensive, requiring much time, much property, and laborious. The Pharisees were rigid in requiring that all the people should pay the taxes. They should give of their property. They should comply with every part of the law with the utmost rigor. Yet they indulged themselves and bore as little of the expense and trouble as possible. So that where they could avoid it, they would not lend the least aid to the people in the toils and expense of their religious rites. Another commentary states, Though they, the Pharisees, strictly enjoined the observance of their numerous and unwritten traditions on the people, yet in many cases where they could, without public notice, they neglected them themselves or at least made them lighter and easier to them. They were hypocrites, right? Walking around in these long flowing robes, saying their prayers out in front of everyone that they may be heard of men. When they were fasting, they made sure that everyone knew about it yet their hearts were far from God. Jesus said, you praise God with your lips, but your hearts are far from him. And so our hearts need to follow our talk, right? We do not want to live hypocritical lives like the Pharisees and like many people in our day. Lord, help us. So the focus of tonight is Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And the focus of those verses is Jesus, right? How many times do we see me and I and my in these verses? Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you, I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Where do we find rest for our souls? We find rest in Christ. We have to go to him. We need to feed upon him. We need to put aside the distractions of our day and be fixated on him. There's some sayings at the rescue mission that the guys have. Some of them, let me share a couple of them with you. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. We say these when we walk around right before lunch. One says, I'm blessed by the best. Here's another one. Before I go to my phone, I go to the throne. I think I got that one from Dee at the lighthouse. She said, before I go to my phone, I go to the throne. Here's one quote. It says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. That was by John Piper. How many of us It's so easy to get entangled online, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Pinterest. I don't even know all these other apps and games. And before we know it, we've spent hours 
doing these things, and yet we aren't seeking the Father as we should. Lord, help us. I love Matthew 7, verses 7 and following. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Keep seeking, keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? God wants to bless us. He wants to give us good gifts. And when we seek him and when we, when we keep knocking and when we go to him, he will bless us tremendously. The scripture says you have not because you ask not. And so that's been my prayer lately is, Lord, help me. Lord, help me to pray more. Help me to seek your face more. Help me to not be distracted by the things of this world. Help me not to be distracted by all the news and all the updates and all the things that the world is so diligently focusing on, and yet we need to be focusing on Christ. We need to be seeking the throne. Colossians 3, 4, it says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, we will also appear with him in glory. I love that verse. Christ, who is our life. He's our everything. He's our life. Without him, we are nothing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's my prayer every day on the way to work. Lord, if you don't go with me today, if you don't speak through me, if you don't show up, nothing's going to happen. It reminds me of Moses in the Old Testament. And he says, Lord, if you're not going to go with us, if you're not going to go with your children, Israel, we're not going. We need your presence. We need you. We cannot go without you. So in verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Yoke yourself up to me. As cattle are yoked together when they till the ground, so you need to be in unison with me. Attach yourself to me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. Learn from me. He says to learn from him. And what do we learn from Christ? We learn that he's the door He's the shepherd. He's the true vine. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the bread that came down from heaven. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's our all in all. I love what Jesus said before he ascended into heaven when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. He's seated at the right hand of the Father right now as I'm speaking. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. That should put our hearts at rest. We should be at peace because he's ruling and he's reigning. John 7, 37 says, On the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and called out in a loud voice. You imagine Jesus just yelling almost in a loud voice. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. I love that. If you're thirsty, come to him and drink. Our souls should be thirsty for Christ and we shouldn't be filling them with anything else in this 
world. I want to share with you the seven I am's. That's why I titled it the way I did. The seven I am's, finding our rest in the great I am. You look in the book of John and you see these I am statements in John eight fifty eight, where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. You see in the garden of Gethsemane, when these guards and these soldiers are coming up to arrest Jesus and they're looking for him and he says, I am he, or I am, ego I am he, and what happens? They all fall to the ground. And you hear when um, Pilate is questioning Jesus and he says, is it true you're a king? And Jesus said, yeah, it's true. I am a king. I am the king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. There's many I am statements in the book of John. Some classify it down to seven. First one I want to share is when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I want to look at these I am's and learn from Jesus because he said, when we learn from him, our souls will be at rest. Our souls should be at rest because Jesus feeds us so that we will never hunger and we will never thirst. John chapter 6, verse 31 through 35 The Jews said to Jesus, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. I love that. It gives light. Life to the world. When Jesus comes down from heaven, which he did, he gives life to the whole world, to those who would believe in him. Verse 34, they said therefore to Jesus, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. That should bring peace to our hearts. That should bring our souls to rest, that we can feed upon Jesus and will never thirst and will never hunger again. Jesus, four times in this chapter, refers to himself as the bread that came down from heaven. And if you remember in the Old Testament, when the manna rained down from heaven, God was feeding his people. Yet what did they do? They grumbled. They complained. We want meat. They kept whining to God. And what did God do? He sent the quail. And he said, this is going to be coming out of your nostrils. I'll give you so much meat, you won't know what to do with it. And because of their grumbling and because of their complaining, the scripture says in Psalm ninety-five, eleven, I swore in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. The Jews, the Israelites of the Old Testament, they did not enter God's rest. They complained. Instead of feeding on the bread that came down from heaven, Instead of thanking God, instead of praising him, instead of being thankful, they grumbled. May we not do that with the bread, Jesus Christ, who has come down from heaven. May every day we be thanking him and praising him and glorifying him because we can eat from him, because we can be saved because of what he did for us in his death, burial, and his resurrection Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions go a lacking, 
and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. He will continue to fill us and fill us over and over again. We will never go hungry. The second I am is I am the light of the world. John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Our souls should be at rest because Jesus gives us guidance. We shall not walk in darkness, and his blood cleanses us from all sin. This world is under the power of the evil one. They are walking in darkness, but we have the light. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, you are now the lights of the world. You are a light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do, do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When we're plugged into Christ, when we're attached to him, when we're yoked up to him, because he is the light of the world, we are now lights in this world, and we shine brightly for his kingdom. 1 John 1, 7 says, if, but, we, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We should be at rest because we are forgiven. We are cleansed. If any man be in Christ, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The scripture says we are now righteous. It says him who knew no sin was made sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God sees us as righteous because of what Christ did on the cross for us. That should bring rest to our souls, that we are forgiven. Psalm 32.1 says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. We are more, more blessed than anyone, those of us who know Christ, because our sins have been cleansed. We are no longer under the burdens of this world. The rules and regulations, we are not bound to those. We have been cleansed. What a joy. Number three, Jesus said, I am the door. John chapter 10, verses seven through 10. Our souls should be at rest because Jesus gives us the abundant life. John chapter 10, verse seven through 10. Jesus therefore said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Christ came so that we would have the abundant life. I believe that verse was shared at Lola's celebration of life at her funeral at when we remembered her, I believe that was the scripture that she wanted to be shared. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. She lived the abundant life. Are we living the abundant life in Christ? When we're yoked up to him, when we enter through that door, he gives us the pasture. He feeds us. He fills our hearts with joy. 
He gives us the abundant life. And that's what I plead with the men where I work at the rescue mission when I teach, which I'm teaching tomorrow morning. That's what I'm going to point them to, that Jesus is the abundant life. He gives us the abundant life. Don't go back to sin. Don't go back to drugs. Don't go back to fornication. Don't go back to thieving and stealing and living like Satan. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Don't live like that. That's not going to give you the abundant life. Satan will dangle that carrot in front of your head and make you think that life will fulfill you, but that life will not fulfill you. Those things will never fulfill. You'll continue to grasp after the wind, but when you come to Christ, he gives us the abundant life. What does it mean to be abundant, to live the abundant life? It means more, greater, excessive, exceeding, beyond what is anticipated, exceeding expectation, over and above, more than necessary, superior, extraordinary, surpassing, and uncommon. I love Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. So I was writing down these notes for this message. I felt like jumping out of my seat as I was meditating on these verses and seeing that Jesus gives us the abundant life and what that means. That he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. We can't even comprehend what he will do through us and what he's going to do for us for all eternity. Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. It's amazing what God is doing in and through us and what Christ has done for us and how he will bless us. That's the abundant life, living for Christ, fighting the good fight, putting to death the deeds of the body, Forgetting the old life, living in the new life, living for Christ, entering through the door. I love this quote. It says, one day your life will be summed up in a paragraph on a program that will be handed out at your memorial service. When that day comes, no one will care about how high you climbed in your your profession. Rather, they will talk about what kind of person you were. What kind of legacy are we living? Are we living the abundant life? Are we living for Christ? If someone looks at your life, is that what they see? They know who's first in your life. They know who you're seeking daily. They know who you're seeking when you're making decisions in your life. It's Christ. He's our everything. Make, we should be making our lives count. None of us know when our last day will be. And the Lord has made that apparent to me over these last couple years, that any day could be my last day, and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I want to make my life count. I want to live the abundant life, and that's my prayer for you too. Number four, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's actually the next verse, John chapter 10, verse 11 through 15. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. There's so much there. Earlier in the Gospels, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? None is good but God alone. Many cults and many false religions want to use that verse to say, see, Jesus isn't good. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Here Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is good. He is God. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God is our good shepherd, as mentioned in the Old Testament. Christ is our good shepherd here. Jesus is God. He loves us. He laid down his life for us. He protects us. He loves us, and he knows us intimately. That should give us rest to our souls. Lately, I've been repeating Psalm 23. I've been taking passages of scripture, and I've been waking up in the morning, and I've just been repeating them and slowly meditating upon them. And I'll just take a little chunk like Psalm 23, and I'll even just say the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. And as I woke up the other morning, I just said that first part of the verse, the Lord is my shepherd. And I thought to myself, I imagined Jesus as my good shepherd protecting me from the enemy, protecting me from the wolf, protecting me from the bear, guarding me from the evil one, from the evil, any evil thought. And there just came this peace upon my soul that here Christ is, all authority has been given to him. All things came into being through him. He's ruling and reigning. He's upholding all things by the power of his word. And yet he loves me. He's guarding me. He's protecting me. And he knows me intimately. That should bring our souls rest. Just as David in the Old Testament defended the sheep, as he said, I killed the bear, I killed the lion, I defended the sheep, he says, bring on Goliath. Jesus defends us. He guards us from the enemy. Jesus met the enemy head on where he defeated sin, death, and Satan so that we, his sheep, will be protected and granted eternal life. That should bring us rest. Number five, I am the resurrection and the life. A couple more here. John chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. We learn from Christ once again that he gives us eternal life and we shall never die. Jesus said to her, here's the context, he's waited several days to go to see Lazarus, right? Lazarus has died. Jesus said he's fallen asleep, and the disciples say, oh, he's fallen asleep? He'll get up. And it says Jesus is referring to death there. So Jesus waits, and then he goes, and he meets Martha, and Martha runs out to him, and Martha is sorrowful, And Jesus meets her, and he says to her in verse 23, chapter 11 of John, your brother shall rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
And she goes on to say, yes, Lord, I believe this. Amazing. I love how Jesus keeps pointing it back to himself. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 51, truly, truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. I love Revelation 21.4. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The scripture says to meditate on the things above. Set your minds on things above, not on things of this world. This world is passing away. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, these things are passing away. We need to fix our eyes on the resurrection and the life. We need to fix our eyes on eternity. We need to fix our eyes on the Lord and be at peace and have our souls at rest because there will be no more death. There will be no more crying. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. Billy Graham said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. He goes on to say, my home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. That's what we're doing. We're just passing through. We're just passing by. Our hope is in heaven where Christ is at. We're just changing addresses. At the end of the book of Philippians, Paul says that God in Christ will transform the bodies of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has all things to subject to himself. He's going to conform our bodies into his body, his amazing, glorious body. Our bodies will be like his. So even though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. We should look to these truths and our hearts should be at peace and we should long for that day when our bodies are resurrected. John 14, 6, the verse many of us know, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Our hearts should be at rest Because through Christ, we have access, bold, confident access to our Father and his heavenly kingdom, and we know the truth, and the truth will set us free. I love that. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Listen to this interaction with Thomas and Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 1 through 7. Jesus said to the disciples, let your heart not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus says also in John chapter 14, verse 27, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let your heart not be troubled. He says it again. He wants the disciples to be at peace. He doesn't want their hearts to be troubled. The context is he's going to be going to the cross soon. And this is the Last Supper, and he's preparing them for what's inevitable. And he's going to leave them, and he doesn't want their hearts to be troubled. Verse 3, 
of chapter 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Even though in our past life, when we were living in the flesh, the scripture says we were alienated from God. We were separated from God. We were strangers in this world. But now that Christ has died for us and he's been given for us, the scripture says in Ephesians 2.13, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We're no longer strangers and aliens and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What a beautiful promise. The last I am statement I want to look at is John 15, verses 1 through 5. And that's where Jesus said, I am the true vine. Our souls should be at rest because when we abide in Christ, we will bear much fruit for the kingdom and be abundantly blessed. The more fruit we bear, the more we live for others, the more our thoughts and our actions and our lives are in service to others, the more blessed we will be. As it says in Acts 20, 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so in John 15, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. What does it mean to prune? It means to purge, to purify, to cleanse. That doesn't always feel good, does it? The more that Christ conforms us into his image, at times, the more it can hurt because he's pruning us. He's cutting off those things in our life that aren't pleasing to him. And he cleanses us so that we'll walk in purity, that we'll be holy as he is holy. Verse three, you already are clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I love what Pastor Joe says when he says, we don't have to work at abiding in Christ. We don't have to like struggle to be in him. We're just attached and we bear fruit. It's a beautiful thing when we're just yoked up to Christ and the load is easy and the burden is light and we bear much fruit for his kingdom. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And in verse seven, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. That's a pretty amazing statement. Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. If we ask anything in accordance with his word, he hears us. And that brings me back to Matthew chapter seven, verse seven, where he says, keep seeking, keep knocking. The door will be opened. Your father will give good gifts to you. What kind of father, if their child asks for bread, does he give him a stone? Or if he asks for an egg or something good, will he give him a scorpion? No, your father will give you good gifts. 
We need to seek him, and he will give us whatever we ask. A couple years ago, I was working in a security job in Thousand Oaks, pacing through the hallways overnight. I was working from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., the overnight shift, the knock shift, as they called it. Tough job. And that night, I would just take scriptures with me and walk back and forth as I was doing security. It was pretty quiet, gated community. Rarely anything happened that night. So it was a great opportunity to pray and to seek God and his will and to read his word. And I would pray, Lord, open a door for me to serve you, to glorify you. I want to proclaim your word. I feel weak, but I want to share with others your truths. I want to live a holy life for you. Please, Lord, if it be your will, open up that door for me. And I continue to pray and I continue to seek and I continue to apply for jobs and nothing opened up. And it actually reminded me of Pastor Joe's sermon on Sunday where he talked about waiting on the Lord. And I waited and I waited and I continued to plead with the Lord that he would open up something for me. And then I got a text message from a brother in the church saying, hey, would you be interested in applying at the Ventura County Rescue Mission? And long story short, I thought, okay, Lord, you're giving me an opportunity here, but I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'm adequate enough. I don't know if I know your word well enough. How am I going to do this, Lord? And I continued to seek him, and I interviewed for the job. And the first time I interviewed for the job, I actually didn't get it. And I thought, wow, I put myself out there. I took the step of faith, and long story short, it didn't work out. And so I was back at my security job, continuing to pray continuing to seek the Lord. And I remember one day I woke up in the morning and I thought, Lord, what happened? It seemed like you were going to open up that door for me to serve at the mission, the rescue mission, and then you closed it. And I don't really see a career path over here in what I'm doing, Lord. I don't feel like I'm bearing much fruit at this job. And then I got another text or another email shortly after that. I think it was actually on that same day when I was saying, Lord, I don't know what happened I don't know why I didn't get that job, but I'll serve you wherever you want me to go. I got an email. Nick, would you be interested in coming to the rescue mission? It was from the director. He said, someone quit. They have an open spot. And he said, we want to hire you. And I thought, wow. Okay, Lord. And so there I've been for a year, by God's grace, pouring into people's lives. And I said, Lord, can I preach more? And he said, okay, you can preach more. Like I said, I'm preaching tomorrow at 7 a.m., I get to teach a class tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m. preaching God's word. Now God's opened up the floodgates and he's allowed me to preach his word, to show the kindness of God, to proclaim his glory. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm so blessed. And Jesus says in verse seven, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. And I've seen that in my own life. And I believe when we take God at his word and we believe these promises and when we cry out to him, he will give us what we ask when it's in accordance with his word and when we're living righteous lives for him. But at times we have to wait. At times we have to continue to knock, continue to seek. And sometimes it will be dry. Sometimes it will be barren. Sometimes we'll be in the valley. I was thinking about Job today. At the end of chapter one, he lost everything. He lost his daughters and his sons. He lost his servants. He lost his cattle. He lost all his everything. 
I say the only thing that was left was his wife, and she told him to curse God and die. That was it. Yet what does it say at the end of chapter 1 when Job lost everything? It says he shaved his head, he tore his robe, and he fell to the ground, and he worshiped the Lord. And he said, naked have I come into the world, and naked I will return to it. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, it says, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Job was in the valley, yet he worshiped. He didn't blame God. He didn't sin at that point. He continued to look to the Father. And I wanted to memorize those verses because I haven't gone through anywhere near as what Job has gone through. Perhaps none of us ever will. But we go through the valleys at times. We go through difficult times. We get anxious. We worry. We get off track. And we need those verses to remind ourselves to continue to stay on the straight and narrow, to continue to worship God, to continue to have humble hearts before our Father. And that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what's taken away from us, if our houses are taken, if, our, if we lose our jobs, If we lose our lives, we lose them for Christ. Whether we live or we die, we live for the glory of God. We do it all for Christ. It's all for him. Psalm 84.11 says, He withholds no good thing from those who walk with integrity, those who walk with uprightness. Someone sent me that verse this week. So in closing, where do we look? Where do we look as this world is falling apart? What did Jesus say? In this world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We need to rejoice. Christ is seated on his throne. He's the good shepherd. He's the light of the world. He's the true vine. He's the bread of life. He's the door. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. It's all about him. He's our everything. He's our life. Let's stay focused on him in these difficult days. Let's seek him. Let's meditate on him because he says, I am gentle and I am humble in heart. Jesus lets the little children come to him. The disciples are rebuking people. Keep those children away. Jesus says, no, let the little children come to me for such is the kingdom of heaven. We're his children. He wants to bless us. He wants to care for us and he'll bring us safely into that eternal kingdom. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the measure of his loving kindness to those who fear him. He loves us so much. And my prayer for us is that we would continue to love him in return, to love him with our whole hearts and souls and mind and strength, and to truly know what it means to live the abundant life. There's nothing better than living for Christ and following him. I love you guys. Let me pray. Father.